0: From the Heritage
1: Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. I think we can all agree that one of the weirdest parts of quarantine life has been going to the grocery store. Through most of March, my husband went when it was absolutely necessary, and I stayed home with the kids. He told me he felt like he was in an apocalyptic movie. You're still in your local grocery store, but it didn't feel normal. Shelves were bare. Masked people seemed anxious, not making eye contact. Toilet paper and paper towels were the highest in demand, with caps on how much you could buy. Eventually, I needed to get out of the house and decided it was my turn to go to the store. By mid-April, everyone still had masks on. There were less people in the store because of capacity rules. Most of the people I saw actually seemed nicer than usual, Some even made eye contact and smiled under their masks. Now in May, I'd say one fourth of the people I see aren't wearing masks. And the issue is not who can find the most toilet paper and paper towels. The things that are harder to find are chicken, pork, and beef.
0: Most food companies are continuing to operate amid the pandemic, but some major meat packers across the U.S. have temporarily shuttered plants as workers catch the coronavirus.
1: America's food supply chain seeing signs of trouble. Beef, pork, poultry, and even fish processing plants in more than a dozen states forced to close due to the
0: coronavirus outbreak. New concerns about America's food supply. Fast food chain Wendy's becoming the latest company to feel the effects of a pandemic-triggered meat shortage reportedly not able to serve burgers, its hallmark item, in some locations, including California, South Carolina and Kentucky on Monday. The announcement causing some customers to invoke the franchise's famous catchphrase from the 80s. Why is the beef? Now to growing concerns over our food supply, from stores limiting meat purchases to Wendy's, running out of burgers in some locations. And now some processing plants are reopening, raising questions about safety for those workers. Matt Gutman joins us now from a restaurant in Los Angeles with more on that. Matt, good morning. Hey, good morning. What we, what we are witnessing is the potential cratering of the meat industry, uh, beef and pork production down since this time last year. And the shockwaves are being felt not just in barbecue restaurants like this, major supermarket chains, and major uh, restaurant chains as well.
1: So how long will this last? Is there a solution to help these plants and their workers? Some are making calls for Americans to just stop eating meat. Should we even entertain that? Today, Darren Baxte a Senior Research Fellow in Agricultural Policy in Heritage's Roe Institute for Economic Policy Studies, helps explain. We'll be right back with my conversation with Darren after this quick break.
0: We need standard bearers in Washington, D.C. I'm so proud to work at the Heritage Foundation, where our mission is to have sensible solutions to every issue that arises in this nation. The coronavirus is no exception. That's why the Heritage Foundation started the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission. The commission's goal is to save lives, but also the livelihood of millions of Americans impacted by this virus. To do this, the commission has released several recommendations to help our nation's leaders navigate us through this crisis and move toward a recovery. Log on to www com to track the commission's recommendations and to see what our recovery plan looks like. Again, that's www.coronaviruscommission.com.
1: Darren, thank you so much for talking with us today.
0: It's great to be here.
1: Okay, so how many meat processing plants have actually closed down right now?
2: Well, I don't have an exact number. Uh, but I will say that some of the plants that have closed are ha- um, do significantly impact the capacity for pork and for beef but on the other hand it's some of those plants are starting to reopen again so it's a fluid situation however I think it's important for people to recognize that there's still meat out there these uh, plants are providing, and uh, providing meat for retail outlets and for Americans to get the meat they need. But there is going to be less meat for consumers.
1: Yeah, I mean, that goes really well into my next question for you. You know, the media has reported that hundreds of Wendy's restaurants have run out of hamburgers and that Kroger grocery stores are limiting the amount of beef and pork, and Costco's place to, Cap on how many meat purchases. I personally haven't seen any meat shortages or capped in my area. But my question to you is Will I soon? Is this just the beginning?
2: If you haven't, that, that's great. Uh, but yes, I do think you will start seeing some reduced supply. You'll see reduced choices. Uh, so instead of getting maybe chicken breasts, you might see chicken thighs. Uh, you also likely see higher prices for me. So I do expect that to happen in the short term. Some people are seeing it across the country and some of us haven't yet, but I do expect that to happen.
1: Okay, on the flip side, you've mentioned this in your articles. Let's talk a little bit about the surplus problem. Why are farmers dumping milk and eggs and other fresh produce?
2: Yeah, that's a a kind of a different issue than what's going on with the meat supply. I I think it's really important for us to distinguish between the different issues. So as relates to dairy and produce, what's happened is there is a, these farmers have grown their produce and they had, and, and had their milk ready to go. But then there was, of course, the coronavirus and that, drastically altered the supply chain it's important to know that 54 cents of out of every dollar spent on food was spent away from home but now of course we're not going to restaurants we're not going to hotels to eat and it's drastically changed kind of the nature of the food supply so a lot of farmers that had produce and milk ready to go to certain destinations don't have uh, those destinations any longer, so they had to basically dump what they had.
1: Yeah, I saw on a news report on Fox News over the weekend um, that a farm in New York had a couple hundred tons of cabbage in frozen storage that they couldn't sell, and they were facing some major financial problems. They also talked about how this would affect their crops for next year as well, that they had already put in their orders, and they worried that demand could still be down. Um, other than the negative effects of just waste, how big of a problem is this um, for farmers and how will it also affect consumers?
2: I think as it relates to the like the cabbage and you know the the produce and also dairy, I don't know that w- why this necessarily be a long-term issue. I do the, the food supply chain is fairly resilient. I do see it adapting to meet this changing demand, you know, this shift away from people spending money away from home and and then trying to divert the move the food to the retail side. So I don't know that I see this as a long term problem. Although a lot of that of course has to do with the coronavirus and one impact we see as well. But even with that, I think it would farmers would adjust and supply chain would adjust accordingly. So uh,
1: basically you're saying if if people are able to start going to restaurants again it'll stop being a problem?
2: Well, not necessarily. I think the the, the point is that the supply chain uh, was designed, I mean, recognizing that people buy uh, 54 cents of every dollar spent on food is spent spent on food is spent away from home. And those were the destinations were located for these um, products, these commodities. And so now the market has had to kind of change and there's a lot of pressure on the retail side to kind of to, to make sure that the food gets delivered to them and people can access the food there. And what you're also seeing is that some of the restaurants, they're, they're actually starting to sell uh, perishable items and groceries themselves as a way to kind of address some of the challenges that they're facing during the coronavirus
1: do you think that's a good solution?
2: It's a smart move on their part in the short term to address this. And maybe maybe even long term, it's not a bad move. Maybe they found a, a slightly different business model. One of the challenges they have is there are labeling requirements when it comes to uh, to food and being able to sell the food. And right now, the FDA has waived some of those labeling requirements that make it very difficult for them to be able to just simply sell uh, grocery type items. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it would depend on whether or not the FDA continues to provide that kind of flexibility. I would hope they would continue to do so, um, certainly in in the short term and even as we kind of move hopefully quickly past this pandemic and to just kind of allow that to be a, a possible way for restaurants to kind of get back on their feet.
1: Interesting. Okay, so pivoting back to the the meat processing plants. I know a lot of people are asking uh, why can't the meat processing plants just hire new workers that aren't sick?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it, it would be nice if they could do that, but the problem is there the, the workers there's kind of a, there's a specialized knowledge for a lot of these workers and it's not that easy to replace them. Now, Whether or not, kind of in a more long-term focus, whether or not some of those skills can be taught relatively quickly is a good question. And I think that's something that should be considered by some of these uh, processing plant companies. Uh, So maybe that we can, in fact, increase the the labor supply. But in the short term, certainly, and kind of by short term, I mean weeks and months, I don't think it's very feasible.
1: So this is kind of a question that that maybe a little bit out of the realm of your expertise, but I'm interested in your opinion on it. Um, I just saw a Washington Post op-ed on it, and I've certainly heard it from a few people on social media, um, that the idea that that meat is not essential, and why are why are people dying at these processing plants over something non-essential, that people should just stop eating meat? I'm just curious about your opinion on that
2: one, nobody's forcing anybody to work at meat processing plants. So I think that's important uh, to bear in mind. And for a lot of people, uh, look, meat is a part of the food supply. There are other things that you can eat besides meat and poultry. But however, for most Americans, meat and poultry have been a regular part of their diet. I have no idea. Uh, What kind of impact it would be to just simply go cold turkey for a lot of people um, from not eating meat and poultry and getting those types of products. And quite simply, you know, protein is really critical for anyone's diets. And one of the best ways to get protein, obviously, is through meat. So that's nice that they want to say it's not essential, but I think for a lot of people, it is essential for them.
1: Then what's the solution policy wise? What can we do about this
2: well, I think on the meat side of things, the, the focus should be on ensuring that the workers at these meat processing plants are healthy and, and they're safe. And that's something that the the, the companies are, are doing right now, they're trying to be proactive. And the administration, the Trump administration, issued an executive order to try to help to ensure that these processing plants stay open. And contrary to certain media reports, that executive order on meat processing plants it doesn't mandate that they stay open, it simply provides the Secretary of Agriculture some authority to deal with this issue, which in, theoretically, he, he could try to mandate that they stay open, but he hasn't, and I don't expect that he would. I think overall, with the food supply, I think we just need to kind of bear in mind that in, the major shifts in the market have occurred because of the coronavirus. We should allow the market to adjust and honestly, I believe that the market has done uh, done an extremely good job but the food supply chain has done a very good job across the board and we'll continue to see it doing a good job. There are, when we think about the food supply chain, we shouldn't just merely think about farmers or ranchers and, and meat processing plants. We need to think about the truckers that deliver the products across the country. So what kind of regulations exist that make it difficult for truckers to get the food to the, 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 the destinations where we pick up the food. There are certain hours of service regulations that have been somewhat waived, but there's still more clarity that should be provided to truck drivers. And rest stops that exist along the way should be ensured be, to be opened and to provide facilities for the truck drivers. I think that's critical. It's important to look at the local level, to what extent there might be local regulations that make it difficult to deliver products from grocery stores to directly to consumers. So when we think about solutions, we should be looking at how government intervention is actually potentially hindering the efficiency of the market to get food from the farm t- to our households.
1: That's so interesting to me because I've had lots of conversations about lots of different ways COVID-19 has affected people all around the country as far as, I mean, from the, now we're talking about the food supply and my last interview, we were talking about um, healthcare and it seems to all kind of fall back on cutting regulations to let the private sector kind of solve these things on their own without government intervention.
2: Well, I mean, what we find is that the government intervention often kind of creates the inefficiencies in the market. And and by, and what we're seeing is government in responding to the whole coronavirus situation, what you're seeing is all kinds of waivers and, and flexibility provided to address the issue. So it does kind of signal and beg the question whether or not some of these requirements are necessary in the first place now Mm -hmm. now that those types of questions should be addressed after and not now in terms of long-term change but i think certainly in the short term we need to create more flexibility more clarity for the uh the food supply chain and businesses across the board uh, and that will help and then we can have those bigger discussions down the road
1: okay in conclusion Darren, I've known you for a really long time. We've worked at the Heritage Foundation together for a while, and, and this is your issue. There is no better person to ask this question to you, and I trust you. Are you confident that this supply issue can be resolved, or are you worried?
2: I think food supply chain is overall fine. I think you've seen report. report. Um, there's a letter from Tyson Foods, that talked about the food supply chain is breaking. And that is unfortunate that that line has been quoted in a letter that the Tyson's Foods wrote regarding really the meat supply, which is just a small segment of the food supply. So the food supply chain is not breaking. There is no food shortages according to the USDA and the FDA. So I think it's important for people to provide things kind of have by proper context. We have plenty of food in this country. I believe the food supply chain will address some of the challenges that they have faced. And I I can only see the issue getting this food supply chain um, being more effective moving forward on this. Now, of course, a lot depends on the coronavirus. And as it relates to the meat supply, that might be more of a challenge, I'll admit, because again, that meat processing plant issue is directly connected to the coronavirus and making sure the workers are safe and healthy is critical. So we might see some problems uh, in the short term when it comes to the meat supply, but as it relates to the other aspects of the food supply chain, I'm not sure. And I will say that if we're not able to get those meat processing plants open, then yes, we certainly could see more problems. So I think the moral of the story is if we allow the market to do its thing, if we allow food supply chain that's already very resilient to adapt, And if we're proactive in making sure that some of these workers on the front lines get the necessary um, protective equipment that they need, I think we're going to be fine.
1: Darren, thank you so much for making the time to talk with us today. and, And thank you for all your work on this issue. Thank you, Michelle. That's it for this week's episode. Of course, the day after I recorded this interview with Darren, I had to buy chicken drumsticks instead of chicken breasts. And there was a cap at our Sam's Club of one bulk-sized red meat purchase per customer. So, yep, just like Darren said, it is here. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating or review or a like or some kind of feedback wherever you are listening. I hope you are all well. Tim is up next week with a new explainer. We'll see you then.
0: Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad.